0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus
1: Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome. Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for another edition of We're Here for uh, pretty close to an hour and uh, educating you on the uh, all things to do with disability law. If you're dealing with a disability insurer, maybe denied a claim, maybe you've been told to appeal, it could be one of a million things that's uh, giving you stress and heartburn. That's why we're here. Savant so Tamarkin, of course, on the show, co-founding partner Firu Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, Martin Willems, handling things out on the West Coast, and also uh, joining us here on the show with uh, lots of points and knowledge to be shared as well. Guys, before we get into three things you must do if you are denied your long-term disability claim, that is coming up. I'll give you some uh, contact information for Savan and Martin, and they're both of their teams, best across the country for sure, one 855 821 5,900 help at disabilityrights.ca and also the uh, website ltdfaq.ca. You can go there anytime and uh, take quick notations, read about disability rights and all the different things and different facets of it. It's really easy. It's all blocks. It's like Lego. Just click on them. There's drop-down points. You can read them in a couple minutes. It takes no effort whatsoever, and it's free, and it's anonymous, ltdfaq.ca. But, Savannah, we always start off with the week that was a case of the day, a matter you've been working on, pal. What do you got?
2: Uh, John, uh, great to be here with you and with Martin. Yeah, I, I want to talk about an interesting call that I had this week with a lady uh, in um, j- just outside of Vancouver. and uh, she, she contacted me um, because she wanted to talk about appeals. Now, this is interesting. She is in her early 40s. She has three small kids at home. Uh, she's suffering from uh, some psychological issues, including depression and a few other things. I don't have to get into that. They're not relevant. The point is she's disabled. There's no question about that. She cannot work. Uh, her her job was a dental hygienist. Um, Now, what's interesting is that she was denied her claim on the basis of a reason that uh, Martin and I frequently see uh, and which is illegitimate in many instances, which is on the basis of insufficient medical documentation supporting total disability. And of course, like many people, she was very shocked by it. Now, this happened about two months ago. So she contacts me just this week uh, after listening to the show and the reason she contacted me she was very hesitant and the reason she was hesitant is because we uh, you know always say here on the show and on the TV show don't appeal these LTD denials talk to us first and she decided to appeal and she decided to appeal and she put forward her appeal and she has a psychologist she has a family doctor everybody's very supportive with her being off work. And she put in the uh the documentation that she needed to, that she felt she needed to for the appeal, she submitted it. And her brother, who also listens to our show, told her, Listen, it doesn't cost you anything. That's what Sivan keeps saying on air. It doesn't cost anything to speak to him about you know these LTD issues. Why not just talk to him? And she mm-hmm. said to him, She's she's relaying this to me. She says, Well, I told him, but I put in the appeal. And that's something that he and Martin and everybody else on that uh you know in their program say don't do and it's you know I don't want to do that I want to see what happens if they deny my claim if they deny my claim then you know I'll go to them and I'll get some help and he says to her yeah but it doesn't hurt to get advice now I'm sure they're not gonna be angry at you for trying to appeal even though they don't like appealing and so she's telling me all this and I'm listening and I'm listening and and you know and I can hear her being very hesitant when she's speaking with me and I I I stopped her at some point and I said look uh, I'm not angry. I understand completely why it is that you appealed. When insurance companies are denying claims, in their denial letter, and towards the end of the letter, there's always a paragraph or two that speaks about the appeal, and it looks like a formal process. They make it look like this is a legitimate process. Like there's going to be this third party, this objective individual or set of individuals looking, you know, at your documentation and The reality is that uh, we're not going to be angry with you appealing. The reality is that if you want to appeal, that's okay. We're not going to stop you from doing that, but it doesn't cost anything to at least get the information that you need from us. Maybe that's going to even strengthen your appeal. If you're dead set on doing an appeal, that's okay. The messaging here is that I don't want you to be concerned about it. I want you to just contact us to get the information you need. We're not gonna pressure you to do anything you don't wanna do. And and what's happened in this case here, I'm so happy that this lady's brother told her to contact me because I was able to give her some insight as to what happens if in fact there is a denial, a second denial, a denial of the appeal. And so now she's comfortable. She was very thankful, of course. She was very happy. Uh, and and she, she knows what to do going forward. And I'll tell you between us and of course our listeners, I, I would be extremely surprised if this insurance company comes back and reverses position. Just because I think that their first denial was so ludicrous. It was so stupid. It was so clear that she's in fact disabled. But now she knows she's not in limbo. Now, Martin, I don't know what you think about this, but I do want to make sure that, you know, people out there are not afraid to contact us, even if they want to try to do an appeal, I still think it's a good idea for them, right? I mean, to contact us even while an appeal is pending just so that they know what to do and what uh, needs to happen in the event that they get a second denial.
3: For sure. You know, the, the main message that has to get out there is we want to help. So, When people contact us, and if they have done an appeal, you've done it, so they may offer you an opportunity to do another appeal, and then we can discuss what your options are, because these discussions that we have when we speak to people, and it happens every single day throughout our offices in Alberta, BC, Ontario, we speak to lots of people, some of them are denied at the outset, some of them are in the process of an appeal, We just speak to you about your options, and we explain to you where the appeal potentially can go, if you really wanted to go down that road, or what your other options are. But don't be afraid. I mean, these are free consultations. We're not big ogres. We want to help you. We are the friendly guys on that front when we speak to potential uh,
1: denied clients the number guys 821 5900 that is always how you uh, you get a hold of Martin you get a hold of Savan and learn lots Don't be afraid always to reach out and have that conversation help at disabilityrights.ca uh, guys if you want to move on we got the three things you must do if you are denied your long-term disability claim. number one is this could be the more important one most important one take a breath don't panic. Don't freak out, an insurance denial uh, does not mean game over for you. And you guys frequently fight denials and, uh, and win them. That's the whole point, right?
3: That is the whole point, and that's where this whole discussion is going. So yeah. when you're in a position where you find that you cannot work because you have an illness, both of those things are already very stressful. Then you get an insurance company denied your claim. Now, remember why you applied in the first place. You have a doctor's support that you cannot work because when you apply for benefits, you have to submit various documents, and one of them is an attending physician statement, which was completed and would have been completed by one of your treating doctors, it be it your family physician or a specialist, and they wouldn't have completed it if they didn't support that you cannot work. So remember that. If this insurance company then denies your claim, I get it. It's easy for us to say, don't panic, but try to remain calm because there are options. Many people think it is this David Good versus Goliath scenario. The insurance company has all the power. They know what to do. They're going to deny my claim or they have denied my claim. There's nothing that I can do. That is not true. It is not true. We can assist, and that goes back to our previous discussion about the appeals. Call us if there is a denial. We can have a discussion with you, and we can see what your options are because... You know i say this quite often to people knowledge is power you know you are in a very stressed position but at least when you've had a discussion with us then you know what your options are and then you make the decision how you want to proceed but we explain to you what the optics are what the options are because we deal with insurance companies on a daily basis we speak to clients who have been denied we've seen all types of denials right that the medical evidence doesn't support the claim or that the person is not properly being treated or that there is a pre-existing condition and these are overwhelming topics for people who, who are being confronted with a serious illness to the extent that they cannot work now they're dealing with this obviously they're going to feel very stressed but that's why we are there and we offer these free consultations so don't panic Take action, be proactive, get on the phone, send us an email, and one of our team members will speak with you. Savannah, what do you
1: think, pal?
2: I agree with Martin completely, and I love the analogy, of course, as you know, of David and Goliath. People always feel that it is a David and Goliath situation. These insurance companies are just giants. Billion-dollar entities and corporations, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we tell people, listen, yes, it is David and Goliath, but if you remember the story, David is the one who won, not Goliath. That's right. That's right. A- and you know what? What we do here, is exactly as Martin said, is I mean, we we understand the process, we understand the game, we understand where the weaknesses are for the insurance company, and when we say that we frequently fight these denials and we win them, what we mean by that is that the insurance company writes big fat checks to our clients. When they absolutely do not want to. And insurance companies are not charities. So when they write those checks, it's because we, they have been forced to write those checks. But you need to be able to, to uh, agree to have us help you. We can simply step in. We need your, your you, know, you to welcome us into that fight. And then mm-hmm. we take the mantle and then we fight the
1: insurance company. All right, next thing you must do if you were denied LTD or LTD claim, gather your documentation including your denial letter and any medical documentation you have in support of your disability and then send them right along. Get reviewed for free too.
2: That's right. That's right. I mean that, that goes back to our discussion before and, and prior discussions which is that doc- documentation is key. Just like Martin says, you know, that this is a contractual relationship between you and the insurance company, right? We're looking at the policy, the LTD policy. That's really what gives rise to your rights, to your obligations and to the insurance company's rights and obligations. In the same way, the documentation supporting your disability is absolutely crucial. They're absolutely crucial to the claim. And so any medical documentation letters you have from your doctors from treatment providers explaining your the nature of your disability the nature of your impairments the denial letter itself uh, a copy of the policy if you have it uh, if you're a unionized individual a copy or a link to your collective agreement all these things are important once we have those it only takes us a few minutes really to review them to understand what it is we're looking for and to zoom in on those things right to just go immediately to the, to, the, to the information that we need, and, and within minutes, we can give you an assessment as to whether or not we think you have a case. And we don't tell people, by the way, that they, they always have a case, right? I mean, there are people who contact us where we say, look, you know, unfortunately, the insurance company is correct in this instance. It's just that in the vast majority of cases where people call us, it's the opposite advice that we give. The insurance company has done something wrong, and we think we can do something about it to rectify the wrong. hmm
1: We're going to save one more for the other side of the break, the three things you must do if you're denied your LTD claim. That is coming up. In the meantime, write this down. Keep it, as we always tell you to do. And that is the phone number to reach Martin or uh, Savan, 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll be getting emails after our break as well, so stick around for that. Lots more Disability Law Show is on the way. All right. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along. For the ride, you can uh, you can make the phone call anytime to Martin Williams, or you can reach out to Savannah Tamarkin as well. Always waiting for your phone calls. Got great teams behind them as well, handling uh, all the heavy lifting, so feel free to do so. There's no obligations. Toll free. It's 1-855-821-5900. The email address we always go to is help at disabilityrights.ca. There's another uh, website you can use to ask questions. It's searchable as well. It's called My Disability Questions. Com. you can use that any time you like. Again, as always, free and uh, anonymous too. We'll get to our third point, guys, of the three things you must do if you are denied your long-term disability claim. Do not, do not, do not appeal. There's the A word again. Talk to them first about your options. There is no cost to getting valuable legal advice from you guys, the experts in the field. What do you say about that, Simon?
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I think Martin, I uh, th- 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 there's no daylight between us when it comes to this, or, or you know, really with all our lawyers, uh, these appeals, and we've talked about them before at the outset of the show, uh, for the most part are useless. And I say for the most part because just like with a lottery, sometimes you can win. Uh, but I would not uh, have uh, high hope. You know, If you're denied no. a claim, do not appeal it. At the very least, do not appeal it before speaking to us. If you do appeal it, still speak to us, because chances are your appeal will get denied, and you'll need to take some legal action, which is exactly what we do. We use the legal process, which is a lot more powerful than an appeal. Why? Because an appeal is an administrative process that is controlled by the insurance company. There is no third party here. There is no judge. There is no one that's objective that's going to be looking at the new documentation that you are trying to get to give the insurance company to reconsider your claim. None of that happens. Right. You are reappealing, you are re-asking, you are begging the exact same people, the exact same company that denied you in the first place to reverse position. And they have zero incentive to do so. So that's why we tell people, don't appeal, at the very least, don't appeal before speaking with us. Once you speak with us, make whatever decision you want to make, but then you're gonna make an informed decision. You're gonna be empowered because you're gonna get the information you need and you're gonna understand what the menu of options are. And if you choose the option of appealing god bless you go ahead and try that if that doesn't work please come back and we'll help you but again don't just appeal because the insurance company is telling you that's the next step Mm -hmm. right i mean they've denied you in the first place so chances are you can't trust them
1: anyways martin what's your take on that before we uh, get into some email
3: you know this is such a a common topic that we speak about because we deal with this Every week, I can think of people I've already spoken to this week who are in this position. There's another thing that needs to be said here. So the insurance company has now denied your claim in the face of all the evidence that you have submitted in support. And I go back to the doctor supporting the claim, therefore now it has been denied. Now they say to you, but you can appeal. So come back to us. So what do you do? You now need to go back to these doctors and they will say to you, the cost of the appeal to get those extra records, you have to pay it. So you have to now go back to your doctors. If your doctors want uh, money to be paid to get further letters or whatever it is that you're going to do, that cost is on you, not on the insurance company. And, of course, it's the same entity that is going to be reviewing the claim. It's not this independent entity. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people would say to me, well, I'm going to just get something from my doctor, and then I listen to what they've said the doctor is going to write, and I would say to them, what your doctor is going to write now is not helping your claim. It might actually harm your claim. So it is absolutely crucial that you understand what it is that you're dealing with and what your options are and it is so fact specific that like we've said before it doesn't cost you anything to have this discussion with us because there are instances where your doctors will in good faith try and help you Mm -hmm. but what their opinions may be and what they will be submitting to the insurance company is just going to strengthen the insurance company's position not yours And for that alone, at least have a discussion with us so we can guide you and then you make that decision.
1: Guys, let's roll into an email, shall we? Steve is up first, says, hey guys, I've been off on disability for over the two-year mark. Recently, my case manager was terminated from their position and a replacement has taken over for about a month. Will my benefits automatically be cut off with a new person? So far, the insurer has made no attempt at contacting me. Pay is supposed to be uh, in this coming week, but I'm thinking not. What is the usual result when this happens? Thanks in advance, Steve
2: okay well Steve, first of all uh, no news is good news all right? <laughs> right? If no one contacted you then then just breathe uh, Nothing should happen here and, and I say that uh, cautiously because insurance companies and new adjusters uh, you know it's difficult to know what they're gonna do uh, but I'll tell you you've been on LTD for over two years over the two-year mark and, and for new listeners, the reason why the two-year mark is, is so important is because uh, the requirements or the test, getting ltd beyond the two-year mark is different than for the first two years for the first two years to get ltd you have to demonstrate with the help of your doctors that you cannot uh, do the job or the occupation that you currently have that you cannot perform the essential functions of your current occupation beyond the two-year mark the test changes it's no longer your own occupation it's any occupation for which you're suited for by training education or experience And generally we look at commensurate income so the question i often ask people at that two-year mark or close to it is do you feel you can do some other job for which you have some training or some experience or education that's going to pay you let's say 60 65 percent of your pre-disability income of your income before you became disabled if the answer is yes well then the insurance company may cut you off and it may be uh you know we may have to figure out whether or not we can go after them for paying you more for having to pay you more. Uh, but if you cannot earn that much money, if you in fact are disabled from any other occupation for which you're suited for, you should get LTD beyond that two year mark. So that's the reason why we're talking about that two year mark and why Steve is refer- referencing that in his email. So the fact that he was approved beyond the two year mark indicates that his insurance company, or at least the previous adjuster has approved him beyond that two year mark, meaning they've agreed that he cannot perform the essential tasks of any other occupation for which he's suited for. For them or for a new adjuster to now reverse course, it, it has to take a lot. There has to be a really good reason for them to do so. Now, sometimes, sometimes, unfortunately, insurance companies, new adjusters feel like they have some kind of a mandate, uh, You know, they want to be cowboys, and they <sighs> do take the position that for whatever reason they think that the previous adjuster made a mistake and they cut people off. I love those kinds of cases because the reality is it takes a lot for them to reverse course and oftentimes they don't realize that and when they in fact cut somebody off after that two-year mark on the basis of a reason which is really not a good reason meaning this they're saying no no the previous adjuster made a mistake that actually opens them up to punitive damages if in fact they are incorrect if in fact the the person is in fact disabled so you know. I, I will tell you this, Steve, uh, no news is good news. I don't think you should be concerned at this point. Let's take a wait and see approach. If in fact you don't get paid, first of all, th- it doesn't happen like that. It's not like you suddenly don't get a paycheck or, or you're not getting payments. The insurance company, if in fact there is a change in their position, will advise you of that, Yeah. either by letter or by email or somebody's going to call you. So if no one's contacted you, chances are you're going to get paid. If anything else happens, if you don't get the money in, if they call you and tell you that uh, you know they're, they're not going to pay you, that they've reversed course, they don't think that you should be getting LTD now, uh, or if they haven't even said that, if now they're saying they want you to be seen by one of their doctors, which again is a red flag, especially after the two-year mark, yeah. it's a good thing for you to contact us. We can talk to you about your case and tell you what you need to do to prepare yourself in the event that the insurance company takes that extreme position that now you don't qualify for LTD, because chances are we can help you. So so again, really good thing, John, that he contacted us, uh, but I wouldn't be concerned at this point, not unless something happens on the insurance company's end, not unless they don't pay him or they tell him that somehow there's a problem with his claim.
1: Steve, thanks so much for the input, man. Here's the uh, phone call to follow up, of course, one 5,900. Let's move down to Nancy. Nancy sends a note and says, "My employer has asked to meet to discuss return to work prior to my sick leave being over. Uh, I'm, uh, am I obligated to meet before my leave is over?" Oh,
3: hmm. well, that's an <clears throat> excuse me. That's an interesting question from Nancy. You know, we have. At our firm, employment lawyers and disability lawyers and lawyers who do both employment and disability. So th- there's a, a g- there's a significant employment component to this, which Nancy may want to explore with one of our employment lawyers. But in the context of Nancy saying that the employer wants to meet to discuss a return to work before her sick leave is over, well, uh, looking at it from the disability context, if the doctor is supportive that she still cannot work. And she feels as well that she cannot work. There's no need to do anything because she is still disabled. And if the insurance company continues to pay her, then let the ship stay its course. But if there's an issue with the employer forcing things or insisting on things, that really is a question that an should be discussing with one of our employment lawyers. And we also offer free advice on those.
1: Yeah, Savannah, it's not their say. They don't get. They don't have the the you know the position to say nope. You're coming back. We're doing this. It's it's as Martin said. It's all up to your doctor. Always is right.
2: Yeah, it's not their say. And you know when when I read the email from Nancy, uh, I was thinking I don't know Martin if you were thinking that. But was there a conversation between the employer and the insurance company? Perhaps I mean there shouldn't be. Uh, but I have seen situations where there was communications between an employer and an insurance company, and that's not how it should uh, play out. Uh, but the key thing is what Martin said here, which is that, Nancy, we have uh, lawyers that have expertise, uh, obviously not just like us on disability, LTD, but in employment law. And what individuals out there often find themselves in is this predicament of being between a rock and a hard place, right? The insurance company that's giving them a hard time and then the employer that also is not playing ball and they don't know what to do. And the nice thing is, again, is that we can protect individuals from both both sides, both angles. And oftentimes when you're dealing with an employer that's not understanding or an employer that's trying to you know, twist your arm to do this or that or an employer who just decides, I'm just going to break the law and fire this person because... They're not coming back to work, I might as well get rid of them. Well, you can't do that under the law. That's a human rights violation. But how does that impact the LTD case? So again, the fact that we have that unique combination of long-term disability lawyers and employment lawyers, and we often talk amongst each other and learn from each other, make sure that you know, we correspond and that you know, our, our uh, positions are, are in line with each other, that helps put more money in our clients' pockets. And that's the key thing here. So, Nancy, uh, we can have a chat. We can put you in touch with one of our employment lawyers. No issues. They're going to make sure that you understand exactly what your rights are vis-a-vis your employer.
1: Guys, Tom's email is, uh, is interesting, a little lengthy, but uh, have a listen to this. He says, good day, guys. I've been receiving LTD payments for just under two years. I was recently informed by my insurance provider via phone call and letter that my file has been transferred to the long-duration team. This is because the insurance company has now deemed that my health condition prevents me from working at any occupation and that I will likely continue uh, uh, receiving LTD benefits payments until 865. Needless to say, apart from my ongoing and likely permanent disability, this is very welcome news. So, my specific question. I was considering taking a brief trip abroad to visit my family. I've discussed this with my doctor and he's perfectly okay with it. I've read all over uh, my sources of correspondence received during the past two years and the LTD policy itself. I'm unable to locate anything whatsoever mentioning vacation slash travel, etc. This may sound strange or slightly paranoid, but I'm somewhat reluctant to directly ask my disability case manager about this. I feel like I may be opening the door to unnecessary and unwanted examination. Am Am I wrong in thinking that no mention of travel restrictions in my LTD policy is sufficient for me to proceed worry-free with a you know a short trip abroad for the purpose of visiting family? Many thanks for your time. Wow, smart.
3: Well, Tom, you know this. We had a very short question the other day about can I leave the country, and yeah. it's somewhat similar to this, but in a much larger context. So Tom has read the policy and feels that there's nothing in there speaking about leaving the country. So what he's referring to is in some insurance policies, it may provide that you cannot leave the country for a specific period of time without the agreement of the insurance company. Now, of course, one would say that they have to not withhold the reasonable agreement if the circumstances are true or reasonable, but in a case like this, Tom has been found or is moving to the long duration team, which does indicate, I suppose, that they are going to carry on paying for a period of time. But it still means that we'll continue to adjudicate the claim. This is a difficult question because if you're asking us, can you worry-free just carry on doing what you want to do? One wants to say yes, but insurance companies look at various things that you do in your activities of daily living. I'm not sure what the disability is here, but if it had been, for example, we've seen cases where there's a mental health component and the doctor suggests that the person does go travel for their mental health to go see people because they're lonely, that may be a different scenario. But, you know, if the policy doesn't speak about this and if the doctor supports you going, It's something that you could discuss with the case manager because I found out about it afterwards and you didn't. I've seen cases like that where the insurance company says, well, you never told us you're going to do this. They're looking at it in terms of function. Are you functionally able to do things? And if you are doing things that you've told them that you cannot do, you may be opening up the door for what Tom is concerned about, further scrutiny or examination.
1: Savannah, you want to, uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I know you got something to say about this one, Savannah, because it was a long email, but we'll take a break first and come back to that and more of those, uh, as well. As we sail into a break here quickly, one 821 5900 to reach out anytime. And that email address where we're pulling these from is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. This is a disability law show.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of chorus entertainment
1: all right welcome back disability law show john skulls here along with savannah to and martin Williams on the west coast and uh, of course through ontario and uh, alberta and bc you can always reach out to savannah or martin or their respective teams to get some help have that initial conversation right it won't cost you anything just to say hello and Cross some broad strokes. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is how you do that. And help at disabilityrights.ca. Savannah, so before the break, Tom uh, basically saying it looks like he's not going back to work probably ever. Could be on uh, disability, getting benefits till age sixty five. His doctor says, yep, that's pretty much what's going to happen. He's concerned though because he wants to take a short trip abroad to see family, and he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers uh, with the insurance company saying, hey, 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 no, you can't do that and uh, I guess he's fearing getting cut off, even though it says nothing about travel or not traveling in his uh, in his policy. He's still, rightly so, skeptical about it. What do you think?
2: Yeah, so I, I agree with everything Martin said in the previous segment. Um, insurance companies do in fact look at everything when they're assessing a claim, and where I see people get into trouble is when they go on vacation, uh, whether or not they've spoken with the adjuster before, And then they start posting things on social media on facebook instagram etc because insurance companies routinely look at people's profiles to the extent that those are those are public and if they see a person you know having fun in paris at the eiffel tower and going to restaurants and doing this and that whether the disability is physical or psychological uh, i think from an optics standpoint the insurance company may get the wrong idea and the adjuster that's looking at this may say wait a second we've been paying this person ltd because this person says they can't work, and here they are somewhere nice, uh, you know, visiting whoever they're visiting, having a great old time. Meanwhile, I don't go on vacation. I have to work hard here. You know, there may be these feelings of, well, are you really that disabled? Right. So, so that's the angle that I'm coming at this from, which is that you have to be very, very careful when you're going on vacations or you're going out of the country. Um, I do agree uh, that you have to be you know, super careful with whether or not there are any geographical restrictions or, or any provisions that deal with this in your policy, because again, we have to look at the policy to see what it says, to figure out whether or not you're allowed to go outside of the country while receiving LTD. Um, and, and again, if you don't speak with your adjuster and they find out later that you went out of the country, again, from an optics standpoint, even if you did nothing wrong, they can interpret that as you hiding that. Right, even though you haven't done anything of the sort the fact that you haven't contacted them doesn't mean you're hiding it from them it's just you haven't volunteered the information so it's a very nuanced i think analysis here and you know the reality is tom is that you are taking some risk and i say that not if you know from the standpoint of a legal risk in other words i don't think that if you get cut off as a result we can't help you i think you know it's irrelevant as to whether or not we can help you because If you are in fact disabled we should be able to help you if there are no restrictions in your policy but it doesn't mean that the insurance company is not going to take the position that you've compromised your claim that they feel that you are not in fact disabled that this is proof quote unquote that in fact you're not disabled because you are able to travel and by the way traveling for anyone who's traveled uh in the past it's not necessarily the easiest thing right sitting on a plane especially if you're going you know across the ocean it's not the easiest thing to do and so some adjusters i've seen in the past have taken the position that by virtue of traveling especially when it's not for treatments right you're not going to the states for a particular treatment that you can't get here uh, that that is an indicator that clearly you're not as disabled as you say you are whether that's a psychological disability or a physical or a combination of both so be very careful tom uh, it's a good thing you reached out to us. What I would say is that whatever you decide, if you run into any issues, please reach out to us directly, Martin or myself or any member of our team, and we'll be
1: more than happy to speak with you and guide you through the situation. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. Uh, you know that number. We've uh, given it out several times. I will do it again, one 821 5900 Victoria, short and sweet, as you know, juxtaposition to what Tom said, it says, can my employment be terminated while on LTD, and how does that affect my claim?
3: These are all good questions. So Mm -hmm. so, first thing that I'm going to say, because this is relevant to the long-term disability for everybody, is if you are on claim, in other words, if the insurance company has started to pay you benefits and they continue to pay you benefits, at some point, your employer may, I'm not saying will, but may take steps to terminate your employment. If that were to happen, please get in touch with one of our employment lawyers at our team again you can have a free consultation just to discuss what your rights are say that didn't happen and you were terminated how does that affect your claim because this is an ongoing question that we receive on a regular basis the short answer is it shouldn't affect your claim because you're dealing with an insurance company your claim established itself we also use the word vested while you were still employed the only consideration is you still disabled within the meaning of the policy whether you are employed by your employer who has the policy who is the policy holder is irrelevant the only question is do you still meet the definition of total disability Um, but in terms of them taking action the employer taking action to terminate your employment that does come up especially if a person has been on claim for a period of time and again it's worth your while to at least have a discussion with one of our team members, so you can understand what your rights are. Because employers do also have some rights, but so do employees in that context. So then,
2: yeah, I again agree with everything Martin says on the employment side of things. Not that I'm an employment lawyer, but I've been around uh, you know the folks at our firm for quite a while, and so through osmosis, I can give you some information here that I think is relevant, uh, Victoria uh you know as to whether or not your employment can be terminated, you know, the answer is yes it can, but it should not. It it's not it's not legal to terminate a disabled employee. It's a human rights violation under most human rights legislation across the country, across Canada. And so what happens typically in a situation like that is that of course, you know, our, our employment lawyers get involved and they go after the employer, both for severance entitlements, that you're entitled to, but also human rights damages. Right. And again, it's important to understand that that's going to have an impact, as Martin said, on the LTD side of the claim, which is exactly why it is that I tell people that if you're having these employment issues or LTD issues or a combination of both, our firm is just one of the very few firms, I think, across the country that has that dual expertise You know, we're not just out there saying, oh yeah, we do employment in LTD. We actually have employment lawyers working side by side with long-term disability lawyers because there's so much interplay between the two. And I've had situations before where people who were terminated from their employment while on LTD hired an employment lawyer who had no knowledge of LTD. And that employment lawyer got them a fantastic result a fantastic severance entitlement, only for that to be clawed back or eaten away by the LTD insurer. So the lawyer got paid, the insurance got a benefit here, and the person got left with nothing. You don't want to be in that situation, which is why it's so important to speak with us, with our employment lawyers and our LTD lawyers, to get that advice on both issues.
1: Victoria, appreciate the email. Here's the number again if you haven't uh, written it down yet during this hour, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 5900 You can also use ltdfaq.ca for a lot more learning and uh, reach out with contact there as well. We'll continue a few minutes ago. More Disability Law Show is on the way. Hang on.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and
1: policies of Chorus Entertainment. Disability Law Show. We're back at it. Thanks so much for sticking around. Larry is the next email up. Let's get right into this, guys. By the way, it's help at disabilityrights.ca. Larry says, in terms of an IME, independent medical examination done by an insurance company, is it only for a day or can it be for longer periods? What do you think, guys? Hopefully a day.
3: Well, uh, Larry, good question. Uh, and again, interesting is something that comes up every now and again. First, things to, first thing to understand is what is an IME? It's an independent medical examination. That's at least how it's described to be. And he says done by an insurance company. So what it sounds like is the insurance company who may or may not be paying his benefits at this point, is now requesting him to attend an independent medical examination, IME, which really is something that the insurance company is paying for. They're sending Larry to one of uh, their doctors, well, a doctor chosen by them, for whom they will be paying some money to do an assessment. Um, can it be done for a day? It depends on what type of assessment it is. Uh, you get... For example, if they're sending them to a psychiatrist to do an assessment, it could be two hours, maybe three hours. Um, Then there are other things called functional capacity evaluations, which also get requested by insurance companies regularly. And those may be a day or it may be two days. And there are things called neuropsychological assessments, which may also be done over a period of two days. Now, leading into a bigger discussion on this is, when these things happen, quite often we have clients saying to us or people phoning in speaking to us about the concerns that they have. For example, a doctor may be saying that a functional capacity evaluation one by the insurance company that they're requesting is not appropriate because it may worsen the person's condition. It may create further pain, it may exacerbate things. I've seen people with chronic fatigue syndrome go down that road where it has exacerbated their condition and it has led to a relapse. Um, So it's not, yes, the insurance company in terms of the policy has a right to have people attend some of these, but it has to be reasonable. And it's not an ultimate right. Right, It, It has to be something that is reasonable and that does not have risk attached to it. For example, the one that I've just mentioned, if somebody has chronic fatigue syndrome, a functional capacity does not make sense, in my opinion at least. And I believe in, other do- in a doctor's opinions as well because it does carry the risk that a person may suffer a relapse, which may last for months, even years. So you have to, if you do have an independent medical examination scheduled and you've got concerns, obviously speak to us about it. But also speak to your doctor about it because it, it may not be the way to uh, approach things.
1: Savannah, it makes me wonder, though. You know, it's it's as as Martin said. You know, w- within reason, going to these IMEs. Well, how about the last two and a half years where you couldn't? You had to do them over Zoom. Is that an option for someone mm-hmm. as well, if they've got a problem going to see uh, the insurance doctor?
2: Yes, um, I think it's nuanced, right? And right. I think Martin was getting to that as well and saying it. It does depend on the situation. So it's an excellent question because if you recall, John, I think a year or two ago, we dealt with a, with a case with a, with a, not a case, but an email that came through of someone who was being told that they must, um, attend, I forgot what kind of an assessment, but it was over a two, uh, two day period. And I think it was about 10 hours away or something, though it required the person to make uh, arrangements to get to that location and obviously stay there. Uh, and it, it was, it was very onerous, and especially in that particular disability, I remember the person had difficulty driving or, or being in a car for prolonged periods of time. Right. And so the question became, well, is there no, nothing else that they can do? This was before COVID, by the way, so my mistake, it wasn't a year or two ago, it was before COVID, uh, before Zoom was prevalent and, and these other kind of, uh, uh, ways of being able to connect with people on, on the computer. So I- in that situation, I remember that, um, the way that I had helped that person, I was communicating with the adjuster and I was saying that, uh, so first of all, uh, the question was, is there is there no one closer that can assess this person? That's number one. And if, if in fact there is no one closer, because I think that person did not live in a big city, they were in a rural area, and, and that was the dilemma here. And also it was a very kind of unique disability and required a certain specialty that was not common. Uh, So, so the, the other issue was that, okay, well, if the person has to go to this assessment, if there's really no other choice, and it was reasonable, quote unquote, for the insurance company to request it, then the insurance company is going to have to pay then for the transportation for the accommodation, they're going to have to pay for certain things to allow this person to, in fact, undergo this assessment. Now on the back end here, I often tell people because I see this all the time. People are saying, I'm not going to do this. It's unreasonable you have to be careful of telling the insurance company you're not going to undergo an assessment, certainly not before speaking with us. And I tell people all the time, speak with us about these things because we'll tell you how to navigate them. You don't want to give the insurance company an opening and a reason to cut you off for the, for the the on the basis of noncompliance. Uh, so in a situation like, like this, where you are thinking it's unreasonable and perhaps it is in fact unreasonable, instead of telling the insurance company, I'm not going to attend this assessment, another way to say is, I am prepared to attend an assessment, but here are the issues that I'm facing. Here are the difficulties. How can we work those through? And you do that in writing. And by doing that, you look very reasonable. And the insurance company, as Martin says, doesn't have an you know unequivocal right, an absolute right to have you attend any assessment for any reason at any time, at any place. There are parameters on this. Courts have recognized that. Yeah. So if you have a concern about a certain IME, about a certain assessment the insurance company is asking you to do, for any reason, reach out to us. We will talk to you about it. We'll we'll explain to you what your options are. And, and ultimately, you'll be empowered because you'll know what your options are. And that's really the key here
1: couple minutes left. I'm going to slide this one to you quickly, Uh, Savannah, or or, uh, uh, Martin. You can take this one. Tom, different Tom this time, says, I recently watched your program, and I have a question. I have a seizure disorder, the frequency of which does not allow me to perform my job adequately. Does this qualify as a disability where I'd be entitled to take time off work in order to heal? Great question,
3: and interesting. I had a similar discussion with somebody earlier this week. Um, The diagnosis is important. What is the most important thing, though, is what are the restrictions and limitations that you have as a result of the diagnosis? In other words, what are the symptoms? So Tom has a seizure disorder. He says it prevents him from performing his work adequately. What does that mean? If Tom has difficulty to perform his duties, because the definition in a total disability contract would provide that if you are unable to perform the essential duties of your occupation, if it's in the own occupation phase, then you should be entitled to disability benefits. And a seizure disorder by itself sounds quite serious. So if that disorder, with its restrictions and limitations, prevent him from adequately performing the essential duties of his job, yes, he most definitely should be entitled to benefits.
1: Last word, Savan, what do you think, pal? I agree
2: 100% with everything Martin said.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So if you want to reach out now Tom thanks for the email that goes the other Tom as well anybody else who took the time today to uh, to reach out to us thank you very much here's the phone numbers we uh, as we close off one more time 1855821 Fifty nine hundred. That email is, by the way, help at disabilityrights.ca. And we always encourage you to learn more by simply going to ltdfaq.ca. Short, quick, well-written uh, notations about disability law. Coverage of topics is, uh, is huge on that website, ltdfaq.ca. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.